If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Trust is earned in the smallest of moments. It is earned not through heroic deeds or even highly visible actions, but through paying attention, listening, and gestures of genuine care and connection. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and we start this episode with the words of Brene Brown. She's a research professor and best-selling author whose work in the areas of courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy has fascinated millions, including Nemours associate Jessica Jordan. Jessica is the Performance Improvement Operations Manager for the Nemours Enterprise. So I refer to myself often as Jiminy Cricket. Uh, so it is my job to, for any way that uh, people interface with our organization from a um, physical standpoint. So we're talking facilities, construction, EVS, all of those different food services, all of that. Um, It is my job to make sure that we're asking ourselves why and how can we increase value on the part of our patients and families. And so I... In, I always let my conscience be my guide, and so I ask that of others. So I generally refer to myself as Jiminy Cricket of the facility. Jessica grew up in a military family, so community service was instilled in her from an early age. In college, she majored in theater, and her philosophy of continuous improvement can be summed up in one of the words Brene Brown used, vulnerability, an idea carried forward from her days doing improv to her healthcare work today. I'm a big believer in the fact that if I don't move forward with vulnerability, neither are you. And so if we continuously build up walls around ourselves of not allowing us to live our true selves, not allowing us to be who we are at all times, then that doesn't provide you an opportunity to be yourself either. And so it's funny, um, you know, when you look at theater and you look at healthcare, people ask all the time, how is it that I went from doing you know, silly improv musicals to helping out from a, um, you know, a lean or continuous improvement perspective for our facility. But if you look at both of those different functions, everything comes down to the human experience. And so as we walk through the halls here, you know, you have no idea who you're talking to. You have the persona that's presented to you, but you don't know what's going on in their personal life. You don't know what terrible information may have just rocked their entire family for the rest of their lives. You know, there are any number of invisible illnesses that every person, you know, who has that is fighting for people to see them. And so I think that when it comes down to it, if you can just take a moment to recognize who you are and the journey of other folks and just continuously yes and to accept them as who they are and to join their story and have them join yours, I think that's really, really important and something that I think that's when you can actually fight things like burnout, because then I can tell you, I can't do this today without fear. I'm constantly provided opportunities to learn from um, team members across the organization. 
The coolest part of it is, is that as you go and talk to any of our associates, you know, we talk about one to mores. The space may look different. The patient population may look different. The process may be a little different in how we meet that patient's needs. But the people are completely the same. Everyone is here to do the right thing. Everyone is here to try their best. Everyone is here to support the community and the mission. And so that's my job, is to go in and continuously ask those questions and to say why and how and how can we increase the value for our patients and families. I've had two people sit in front of that microphone, each of whom cited you when I asked the question, who within the associate population inspires you? It's really nice. So the question is, who inspires you, Jessica? Um, you know, I look to some of our folks. There's a gentleman who um, cleans the floors. He's a housekeeping associate. And we were talking to each other. He told me the fact that his brother had been a patient of the Institute in the 50s and 60s. And that when he cleans the floors, he remembers what it was like to walk on the tile work in what is now our administrative, our administrative building, the ARB, but had been the Institute. And he talks about what it was like to be a family of color when there were not a lot of options available, what it was like to be the brother of a patient who had polio and was unable to walk, and they didn't know what was going to happen. He remembers what it was like to be a family who was told that they had a $22,000 bill who in the 50s and 60s probably weren't going to be able to find that money. And he remembers what it was like to be a family that was told that they didn't have to worry about the $22,000 bill because we had them. They were taken care of. And that was the purpose. That's what we do here. We alleviate human suffering. And so when he cleans the floors, he remembers what it was like to run with his brother on those floors. He remembers what it was like to sit outside and have picnics with his brother, who he believes and tells saved his we saved his life I didn't obviously but I'm a part of a great story for others I have my little corner of the world and so as we talk about sort of the concatenation of efforts and working in tandem to meet the needs of our patients and families my hope is is that from an inspiration place recognizing that as this gentleman is cleaning the floors he sees the power in himself that he can make the difference for another patient and family in the same way that his family had been saved Jessica Jordan is the Performance Improvement Operations Manager for the Nemours Enterprise. Spinal Muscular Atrophy, SMA. If it sounds like a devastating disease, it is, according to Dr. Richard Finkel, a pediatric neurologist and director of the Division of Pediatric Neurology and the Neuromuscular Program at the Nemours Children's Hospital, Orlando. It's a genetic disease, and unfortunately, because of changes in the DNA in these uh, little patients, they fail to make a critical protein, and their nerve cells begin to fail, and that leads to progressive uh, muscle wasting and weakness. And uh, most of these uh, little babies fail to reach their second birthday because uh, of the breathing and feeding difficulties and the progressive paralysis. Last spring, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved a gene therapy for the treatment of SMA. Nemours was part of the successful clinical trial that led to FDA approval for wider use of the therapy. So it came as no surprise when a family contacted Nemours just after FDA approval of this $2 million gene therapy. 
to inquire about administering it to their young daughter. Uh, We received a request from a family in Moscow, in Russia, to see if they could get this treatment for their little baby girl named Kate. And uh, we thought we would try to do what we can to help um, Kate's family to get the treatment for her. But there were challenges. It's a new treatment. She's an international patient. And time was not on their side. Dr. Finkel, along with clinical research coordinator Julia Balashkina, explain what happened next and how Nemours coordinated efforts at all levels of the enterprise work to overcome those challenges and treat young Kate. The first of these is that uh, the approval of the drug was only for children under two years of age, and Kate was going to turn two in a month. So we had to really move quickly to see if we could get the necessary visa for her to come over here. We had only a month, so time was the essence, and it was nearly impossible to make it happen. So we um, initially had to contact the family via different kind of video devices, and I helped to um, to translate. Julia is a native Russian speaker. We had to get her formally certified. We hadn't really used that skill before because Julia served as a study coordinator in our research studies. Uh, but we were able to quickly get Julia certified as an official translator. When we started working with the family, uh, they were very excited, but at the same time scared and not sure if it's all going to be possible. The next challenge was more internal here in the hospital. We had to work with the drug company called Avexis to purchase the drug. And can we work out the logistics to administer it? Because she would be, in fact, our first patient that we would be treating under an insurance plan, not through the clinical trial. The family was able to secure the necessary funding through a charitable foundation based in Moscow. And in working with them, uh, we felt that there was a path forward here to pursue, but we had to move quickly uh, to have all the necessary screening testing done to arrange for her to be admitted to the hospital. Julia helped uh, with getting housing for the family. When uh, they came over here, we had to help them to find, you know, the place at Ronald McDonald. Helping them feel more secure in this environment, navigating our healthcare system and all those sorts of things. Understand the logistics about how we get the appointments done because they have never been to U.S. hospital before. So this whole new culture, you know, was different and uh, they had a lot to learn. So we try to make sure that, you know, all the questions I answered, I try to stay in touch with them. You know, we've been in constant communication. Fortunately, the family was able to get the visa, and uh, the little girl was able to come over here. And when the family finally made it here, it was really an amazing moment to see them. Julia's really been the glue that uh, made this work, pulling all the different pieces together, and I I can't give her enough credit. I was working with Kelly Vajankovsky, uh, Xerges, uh, pharmacy team, uh, the doctors and uh, other coordinators in Delaware. We all worked together on making it possible. I have to say it was rather, rather mar- remarkable in my mind uh, that we were able to get so many people around the table and to say, yes, uh, this indeed is something we want to do to try to help this little girl. And we were able to move forward accordingly. And that includes uh, the pharmacy team and many people in the hospital leadership uh, had to come together. Uh, Because as you can imagine, uh, with a very expensive drug, this costs $2 million for just the single dose treatment of this gene therapy. Um, We had to be careful and make sure that we were using the foundation, the charitable foundation's funding properly. So how did the procedure go? 
it's almost unbelievable because uh, this is a little girl who uh, she's had her second birthday, and I would add, uh, Julia didn't mention that she had a little birthday party for her uh, in the clinic, so that was really something quite special. So now she's a two-year-old, and she talks very much like a two-year-old, and then she's a quite a, an interesting little girl, full of energy, mentally, maybe not so much with her muscles yet, but we've already seen that uh, she's starting to sit up on her own. So we're starting to see this drug rapidly uh, improving her muscle strength and her function, and we anticipate that that will continue to improve. Is this a one-time treatment, or will there be additional treatments required? Uh, That's the wonderful part of this gene therapy is that uh, it's anticipated to be a one-time treatment. And once it's delivered and the new DNA gets into her nerve cells, uh, it should set up shop and continue to make the protein that's uh, deficient in her body and allow her nerves and muscles to work better. So we're quite excited, and uh, we're just so enthusiastic seeing some early signs of improvement. Uh, I think she'll be going back home uh, stronger and healthier, and we're anticipating that she'll have a nice long life ahead of her. Dr. Richard Finkel is a pediatric neurologist. Julia Balashkina is a clinical research coordinator with the Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando. Kate returned home during the summer, and we'll have an update on her progress in a future podcast episode. Pediatric anesthesiologist Dr. Katerie Carello is devoted to the kids she serves. I love the pediatric field. I think that um, children are, in a lot of ways, innocent, not only in their character, but then also they're innocent with their disease. Um, You know, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they didn't they didn't do things to sort of cause their disease. They just happened to have them. And I find it incredibly rewarding to work with them, not only with the joy that they bring, but also with their own resiliency and how they face their adversities. Soon after Dr. Carello arrived at Nemours with her physician husband and their young child, she learned she was pregnant again with twins. New job, pregnant with twins? No problem, said her colleagues, just one of the many ways she felt welcomed and supported as a member of the Nemours family. My immediate team is my department, and I think it's an outstanding group. From our chairwoman, Dr. Uh, Carolyn Bannister, to our division chief, um, Stephanie Shrum, I think they're truly amazing leaders. What makes people amazing leaders? Give me some examples. So I was pregnant with twins, Shortly after, uh, we found that out shortly after I was I started working here. Obviously, that comes with a whole host of potential issues with work time, and my department was incredibly supportive. They never batted an eye, never hesitated to offer support, whether it was asking about things or when I needed time off or doctor's appointments, and. I've worked other places where that's not been the case. And so to have that kind of support, I find uh, very refreshing. And it's not seen in a lot of places in healthcare, um, which is unfortunate. But the department was very supportive, um, gave me the time off that I needed. And all of the leaders, and obviously my time off had to be approved. And so I really appreciated that. It's a normal part of life, but... (laughs) Sometimes things can be complicated. So I appreciated that everyone went out of their way to really support that. And it makes me want to stay with an organization that has that kind of outlook. All of my colleagues also, we would switch calls if needed or shifts 
Um, they were really amazing. Three kids, three and under. What's the work-life balance like for you? The balance is that there is joy with all of it. Um, even when there's hard times or sad times, the honor that I feel to be be able to be a mom of three healthy young kids and to be an anesthesiologist and provide care and take care of children and, their, and ultimately their families as well. It's such an honor that uh, I don't mind coming to work and I don't mind going home. How do you stay engaged with your job each and every day? I think it is a culture where you feel supported. And so you're very happy to give back to the organization that's supporting you and what your personal and professional goals are. You already mentioned how your team went above and beyond when you were pregnant with twins. Yes. Um, Can you highlight someone, maybe call out somebody in particular on your team for going and showing that discretionary effort? Uh, There's there's many stories. (laughs) Um, There's two that stand out in my mind. Um, one would be uh, my colleague, um, Dr. David Bradshaw. Uh, we had a, a child come in who, he does cardiac anesthesiology as well, and we had a child come in who needed an emergent procedure. Uh, it quickly became apparent that this child had some cardiac issues that uh, that required the skill set of a cardiac anesthesiologist, pediatric anesthesiologist. And he came in on a Saturday, no questions asked, took outstanding care of this patient, um, counseled the family. That was that one instance, but he's always available. And he's relatively new to our par- department, but he's always willing to, to help uh, colleagues out. There's another colleague that I have, Dr. Fuentes, who I had an emergency in the OR once, and um, we called out for some assistance to get extra hands, and she was, she was in the locker room changing. She changed back and rushed into the room to give us an extra set of hands to help. The child did great, uh, you know, and just being able to have someone that would be so willing to, you know, on her way home, change, her, change gears, change clothes quickly again, and run into the OR to help. How does it feel to be supported in that way when it, when it's really life and death? That is one of the reasons that I really enjoy my this group here is because of that. When when there is a life or death situation, there isn't a single colleague that hesitates to step in and assist and we all know what that what that means and everyone takes the roles and and helps out. It makes you feel confident that you can provide outstanding care to kids. Dr. Katery Carello is a pediatric anesthesiologist at the Nemours Clinic in Jacksonville. Thanks to Drs. Katery Carello and Richard Finkel, along with Julia Balashkina and Jessica Jordan, for being on this episode of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. And thank you for listening and for all the feedback you've sent our way. Want to send your comments and ideas? podcast at nemours.org is the email address. That's podcast at nemours.org. Please subscribe to the Champions for Children podcast on your favorite app. Share it with your family and friends and fellow associates and rate and review us too. Production assistance for this episode provided by Peter Adebi, Deborah Griffin, Jackie Williams, and J.L. Puckett. Music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Fall River, Massachusetts. And words of wisdom today come from Nemours Performance Improvement Operations Manager, Jessica Jordan. There's a moment during every single improvement event where you actually see folks relax, create a moment of vulnerability for themselves, where they look across the room and they say, I didn't know you did that. Oh, well, it would be so much easier if... 
And you can actually see sort of a stitching together of a quilt of progress in those moments that is not something that can be easily measured. You're not going to find that on a profit and loss statement. You're not going to see those things. It is a totally quality moment that can't be assessed by a dollar amount. However, the impact to the mission and to our ability to provide care is captured in that moment. And that is magic. Till next time, I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks for joining us for the Champions for Children podcast. 